0: Hello, and welcome back to the second official episode of Mastering MHA. I'm your host, Samantha, and today we're going to dig into the nitty-gritty and answer some of your very own submitted questions that you guys put on Instagram. If you haven't taken a second to follow us there, you definitely should. We post tips and tricks, reminders, resume boosters, job opportunities and internships, and much more. You don't want to miss out. Take a second now to pause this podcast and follow us at Mastering MHA, or wait until the end of this podcast to click the link in the description and be taken there directly. With all of that being said, let's get into your questions. So as I started off this podcast by saying, these questions were all submitted by you guys on the Mastering MAJ Q&A box. There was a short period of time where there was a Q&A box that was open to any and all questions on our story. And so again, if you aren't following us there, make sure you do because that's how you guys can get involved into some of these podcasts remotely. So for today's podcast, there were over 50 questions, which is crazy to me. Um, so thank you for your engagement and excitement around the podcast and Mastering MHA as a whole. So obviously, I can't answer 50 questions because that would be a ridiculously long podcast. But what I did do was sort the questions into three groups and try to narrow down my top 10 questions that I thought would be most helpful to you guys. So the first category that we're gonna go over is school-related questions. The second is focused around resumes and applications for different types of programs and internships. And then the last one that we'll touch on is life in general, whether that's pre-program, during program, or potentially after program. So let's jump into the very first question, which was actually submitted by one of my peers at the UIC MHA program, Esmeralda. And her question was, what's the best way to maximize your time? Do you have a schedule or do you follow a timeline that you plan out in advance? I really like this question because I think this was one of the very first things that I started to struggle with a little bit when I was entering the graduate program, and I wish somebody had told me what I knew now. So for me, I am a very organized person. Some would call me a little OCD. I cannot live without my planner, without Google Calendar, and without Outlook, like Teams, and all the other apps alerting me that I have meetings. So for me, it is really essential that I stay organized and that I um, have a tracker that's keeping me on top of all the meetings and places that I need to be, whether that's in person or remote. So one way that I like to maximize my time is by starting off my week, and this is typically on a Sunday um, afternoon or evening And I just take like 30 minutes to write out every single meeting that I have that week. So whether it's putting it in a planner or just putting it on a notebook or a piece of lined paper or even on your phone, really, I personally find that it's super helpful to know how much I have per day and when. This kind of serves two purposes. Knowing how much you have per day is nice because as a student, it allows you to see when during the week you're best going to be able to study and do maybe extracurriculars or just meet with friends, whether it's on Zoom or in person. The second reason that I think it's really helpful to see kind of when you have things is because obviously you want to be on time to things, but to also know like when you can take a break during the day. And I think that's really important because especially with everything being virtual, There is really no excuse for not being anywhere or being present, and so it's really important to make sure that you're taking time to enjoy like a cup of coffee or to even have lunch. I am definitely guilty of missing lunch because I just got overwhelmed with a project or a bunch of emails, and so making sure to allocate time where you're not doing anything or even just being aware of that is really nice and I think has helped me maximize my time and figure out my scheduling a bit better. Another question that I got from quite a few people was, do you work and do school at the same time? And I kind of laughed while reading this question, but I do think it's a really important one because, you know, especially now with COVID, a lot of people are finding themselves in the financial position where if they want to continue with their program, they need to be working. Similarly, some people just really like being busy and find themselves to be more productive when they have more to do. I am definitely one of those people. I am definitely, dare I say, on the extreme end of that scale, I hate just sitting around. Like I would much rather be booked to the minute, to the max, um, and exhausted at the end of the week. And like, that's how I know that I have done my job well and that I have achieved like maximum potential that week. That is not for everybody, obviously, and no shame if you are on the complete end of the scale to each their own. But I would say for, you know, a master's program, it is possible overall to work and to complete your degree. How I would say, you know, to go about this, again, it differs for different people. Personally, during my first year of my program, I again, was on the very extreme of things. I worked anywhere from 50 to probably like 70 or maybe even 75 hours a week and then went to classes in the evening. Again, do not recommend for everybody. Honestly, I wouldn't even go back and do it again myself. I got sick at one point with a sinus infection. Um, I was just constantly tired. And for my girls out there who care about skincare, my skin was terrible for obvious reasons. Um, I mean, looking back at it, it is very possible. Like, and so having done that many hours, I do think that if you're working a full-time job during the day and then you go to classes in the evening, it is possible to continue that schedule. No problem. My advice though would be To make sure that you are, again, allocating time to take breaks, whether it's to make sure that you eat lunch, to work out, to have a cup of coffee, to chat with friends or your partner or your family, all of that is really important and I wish I had done a little bit more of that because it would have kept me way more sane, way more calm and grounded, but it also would have let me just be more present and to recognize how much I was doing and that I needed to slow down. Um, for people who are not crazy and are not working, you know, a full-time job or more, working a part-time job is just as admirable. I think currently, I and a bunch of other peers are working part-time jobs, and part-time jobs, you know, they can range in hours. Technically, thirty-five hours is a part-time job. Um, but i think like what i have found in the second year of this program that's much more manageable is working a part-time job that's anywhere between 20 to 30 hours max and the reason for that is because then i know i have 10 hours which is you know like one full day dedicated to just taking a break or having off or it's multiple hours during the week that i can just block off for time to reflect time to do homework time to just chill out and be a potato Um, so to kind of wrap up this question, I do think it's possible to work and do school, whether you are, you know, full, full steam ahead or just kind of relaxing and going with the flow. I think both are great options. It's kind of up to you to see what you want to do and how you want to balance it with school work, with extracurriculars and or family and friend time. Okay, so then another question um, which I kind of addressed in the first episode of this podcast, but in case anybody missed that episode, um, the question was, how did you know you wanted to go to grad school? And for me, I knew I wanted to go to grad school simply because I wanted a change. I felt like mentally I was just very drained from my degree that I was pursuing before and the track that I was on. And I wanted something that would re-inspire me, kind of reignite that passion to continue pursuing higher education and to continue a career that I could see myself doing for the long term. I am a person who likes to plan, you know, a couple years in advance. And I've learned that while that's great, you also need to be really open to change. And, um, you know, healthcare itself changes all the time. Like, for example, you know, a patient's condition can change from one minute to the next, even seconds sometimes. And so when you're um, in healthcare, you need to be flexible with the changes that come. And so I would describe you know, my change from the pre-med track to the grad school program as being my first kind of flexible moment in my career. And luckily I can say that it's been a change for the better and I have never looked back or regretted my decision at all. All right, the next question is a really fun one for me because I love all things food. The question is, what are your favorite snacks slash meals to prep for school? So I'll preface this by saying that my classes are all in the evenings. Um, I only have classes from 5 to 8 p.m. most of the weekdays. But this is challenging because then I might be running from work straight into class and I don't have time to make a meal, get a meal, or eat. Um, So some of my favorite snacks pre and during COVID were granola bars, um, like applesauce, fruit bars, trail mix, um, protein balls. One thing that I would advise if your classes are still in person or if you're going to be back in person is to think about just how much of a mess your snacks can make. I think one of the things that I didn't realize um, at the beginning of my grad program was if you have a granola bar that's really crunchy or, I don't know, pretzels, while that is a delicious snack, it can be so distracting in class and you just don't want to be that person. My other thing to say that answers this question is regarding meals. I am a big meal prepper. I firmly believe in it. Um, For me, meal prepping can go one of two ways. It either means that at the beginning of the week when I am kind of mapping out my schedule for that day or week, I am thinking about what meals I'm going to make each day. And that goes a little bit back to what I said before about knowing how much time you have per day. For example, if on Tuesday I have um, my last call at 4 and it ends at 4.30, well then perfect, I have an hour before class and I can you know actually cook a meal, so then I will cook that day. Um, the other way that I meal prep is by literally cooking every single meal that I'm going to make, c- putting it in containers, and then putting it in my fridge. That way all I have to do is just grab it, microwave it, and eat it. Um, I think a combination of this also works and for some like people just don't like cooking and that's totally fine and if that's the case I think my best bet would be again just think about what you're going to make on the day or that week because it will save you so much time and that is probably the best like thing you can do for yourself when working and having school or just in general making sure to eat meals before classes. All right. So switching over to the next kind of topic that we're going to discuss in this Q&A of applications and resumes, I wanted to touch on a few different questions. So one of the first questions that I got was, what are things to put on a resume? And obviously this is varied for every single person because none of us have the exact same experiences. So I will say what I always say, And that is your resume does not define who you are. I think this is such an important point. It's one that I posted on the MAJ Instagram before and that I'll share here again. And it's important because I think so many people get caught up in, oh, I don't have enough to put on my resume or I don't have enough, you know, admin experience. And that's what this grad program is about or that's what this fellowship is about. That's okay. You know, it's good to bring a new perspective, a fresh set of eyes to any position. And I think the way the world is progressing, we need more people to bring that diversity and um, new perspective to any project that we're working on. So when you're thinking about putting things onto your resume, think about things that align your purpose and your passion. So if your purpose is to get a job in healthcare administration, think about some of the qualities that you've gained from different experiences and how you did that and put those on your resume. An example I like to share is when I was applying to grad school, I lacked a lot of the administrative Um, internships or experience. I had never been in business. I had never been um, anywhere near admin. Instead, all of my experience was very volunteer-based, very research-oriented, and honestly somewhat clinical. And so in order to kind of make those things connect to what my purpose was, I really focused on leadership experiences, community-based experiences, large work group experiences um, because I thought those things are skills that I'm looking to further develop in the grad program, but also that I know I have some baseline experience in. And so there's some level of foundation there that the program can see the opportunity to build upon and strengthen. I think all grad programs or just programs in general want to know that you are eager to learn Um, and that you are willing to use whatever experience you have before to help them achieve their goals as an institution, as a program, and etc. So thinking about all of those things combined, I think that's what makes a resume really strong. Additionally, I'll say that, you know, if you're struggling to put things on your resume and narrow the scope Um, think about what you put in your cover letter and meshing the two documents together. And similarly, if you're struggling to write your cover letter or your personal statement, look at your resume for those standout opportunities that you've already highlighted and think about ways to tell the story of how they all connect and how they brought you to the opportunity that you're applying for. So as a side note, I started mastering MAJ for a few different reasons, but one of the main ones was because I really wanted to provide an inside scoop to students like me who were applying for the program um, and didn't really have an idea of what it was. I think when I was applying for my master's program, it was really difficult to narrow down what an MAJ was and why I wanted to do it. I wish I had been able to connect more with alumni and students who were on campus in the program because I think it would have given me a better and more holistic overview of what I was getting myself into. Now, I don't mean to say that I regret anything, but it's just something that I had wished I had known. And so one of the people that I've been lucky enough to connect with through Mastering MAJ thus far is Tanya, and so Tanya, if you're listening, this is your question, and I think it's a really great one. So Tanya's question was: Do you have any tips for MHA candidate interviews, and/or sh- can you share a few sample questions? So, my top kind of three tips for interviews are: one, prepare and rehearse. So when you're preparing for your interview, think about what you're going to wear, how you're going to get to that interview. Um, think about the timing of the interview, like if you're going to have it in the morning or in the afternoon or in the evening and then rehearse, rehearse your responses. And I don't mean to say like be a robot during your interview, but rehearse so that you know kind of what to answer and to not say. When I rehearse a lot of my interview questions, some things that I try to do are to record myself um, because you hear certain words that you use when you're nervous. For example, you might use the word like a million times, and that's not the most professional thing to do, so it might be good to note that you use the word like a lot. Something else that comes out of rehearsing is fluidity. When you're answering a question, you want to seem genuine, you want to seem intriguing, but you also want to, you know, make sure that it sounds like you know what you're talking about. And when you are thrown off your game and you haven't rehearsed or you haven't like settled yourself down and collected your thoughts prior to the interview, it shows. So, I think just rehearsing to yourself whether it's recording yourself on your phone, Um, or looking at yourself in the mirror and just talking like you would in an interview, it helps a lot. My second tip would be to think about the interview as an opportunity to share stuff that isn't on your resume. So one of my first interviews, all I did was focused on my resume. I brought my resume, I talked all about it, and I didn't get the position, and when I was thinking about why, I think it was just because I was too boring. I stuck way too much to the script that was in front of me, which was my resume, and I didn't use the opportunity to sit down with the person that I was going to be working with and share my story. So I really encourage that when you're thinking about your interview, think about what you're going to say that complements your resume as opposed to just rehearses it or, you know, describes it. I think that makes you a more colorful candidate, a more intriguing candidate, and that is going to help you a lot. Finally, my third tip for interviews, specifically for grad programs would be to share why you're interested in that program. Some programs will ask you this directly, as in they will say, well, why do you want to pursue an MHA?" And then you would you know obviously share your answer. But I think if you don't get that question, weave that answer, whatever it might be, into other answers or into other parts of your interview because it reinforces the idea that you are actively pursuing this goal and that you are committed to it. There's some type of mind game that occurs when you say, you know, I hope to be there versus I look forward to being there. Obviously, you don't want to come off too, you know, excited or too condescending, but being mindful about the phrasings that you use can play a big role in the confidence level that you bring to your experiences, regardless of how many or how little they are. And I think those make a thousand, thousand percent of a difference. Similarly to that question, there was another, which is you know, what are some things that helped you get into grad school, whether it was your resume, your personal statement, cover letter, or interviews? What were some things that you really took away from the interview process? And how would you redo them if you could? I think for me, something that I wish I had done more of when I was doing the MAJ interview process was literally just asking the question of, thank you so much for this interview. Do you think it would be a possibility for me to connect with a student currently in your program? And again, I say this because for me, my biggest regret was that I didn't get to know the programs as well as I could have. And I think the only people that can really share that student perspective are the students themselves. They are the people who you know will be your peers, will be your alumni network, and so much more. And so just starting to access that will not only help you grow your network, but will also show you more about what you're getting into and what type of institution you're going to be at and the opportunities that could come from that. That leads me into another question, which is submitted by another candidate for the master's program. Um, Neha, if you're reading this, this is yours. It says, for grad programs, does ranking matter? Now, I know some people are going to have different thoughts, but in my mind, it's a yes and no question. (laughs) I think for me, ranking did matter because I did want to go to an institution that was really well accredited and had a good name so that coming out of the program, I could have a better network to then explore different career opportunities. Something that I looked for when looking at ranking was not only the number that they were ranked, but also what types of things went into that ranking. Were they CAMI um, accredited? Were they continuously accredited? How new were they to that accreditation? And then what are things that their students are doing while they're in the program that help the program as a whole achieve that ranking? I think looking into those things rather than just the number displayed by that name of the program really helps give you a better sense of the community that you're getting involved with and the program as a whole because it shows you the workings and the foundation of the program and what they can truly offer you as both a student, an alumni, and then a future careerist. The next question I got was, is volunteering necessary? I'm gonna be honest and say that I never really thought about this when I was applying because I had a lot of volunteer hours already. Part of this was because I was a pre-medicine student and so I was getting a lot of hours for my goal of getting into med school. But part of it was because I was just genuinely interested in so many other organizations outside of healthcare And so the best way to get involved in all of those organizations was through volunteerism. So while I don't think it's necessary, I do think it is important. And I'm going to kind of capture a bit of what my peer Jennifer um, said, which was that volunteering and shadowing gives you the perfect day in the life opportunity to see if an organization is putting their words and their mission and vision into action and it's a great opportunity to expand your network as a volunteer you truly never know who you're going to be working with or who you're going to pass by and so it's really great to go into a volunteer opportunity Um, to get experience, to get exposure, and to bring a new perspective and gain one as well. So again, I don't think it's absolutely necessary, but I definitely think it's something that could help round out your experience and make it more worthwhile. Following that question, I'm going to touch on two more questions in this section of the podcast which are both centered around fellowships. So the first question is what is a fellowship? And boy, is this a good question because I had the exact same question pretty much a year ago. So a fellowship is a one to two year opportunity depending on where you go, that allows you to sit directly with managers, directors, C-suite executives, and get to experience what it's like to not only learn from them, but to be involved in the foundational administrative work of an organization. So for some people, they look at getting a fellowship because they want to continue to learn about the different aspects and units within healthcare administration, whether that's service line or frontline work or operations, etc., Um, Or people look for a fellowship as a stepping stone to get into a new career point. I think both avenues are extremely good ones. I personally went into the fellowship process thinking that I wanted a bit of both. I currently am doing a year-long internship at Northwestern Medicine where I sit on the quality and patient safety team, and I have loved getting to know a bit more about that. But at the same time, I want to continue to expand what my diversity and my learning experience can be. And so the way I'm doing that is through a fellowship. And I'm lucky enough to say that I did secure a fellowship and I'll be going to Emory Healthcare in the summer of 2021. So hopefully that answers your question about what a fellowship is. The second question that I got from um, a first year in the UIC program is, Are fellowships necessary for a career in health admin? And so, um, again, I think when you're thinking about a fellowship and if you want to do one, my advice would really be to think about why you're going for a fellowship. Why are you interested in continuing your education further? Is it because you want to, you know, just secure your footing in what you want to do Is it because you want to broaden that experience? Is it because you are looking for that next stepping stone? All of those things are good things to consider. Likewise, it's also good to consider, you know, after your master's program, do you think you've had enough experience where you can go into the world and just say, all right, like here, I want to be the boots on the ground and I want to start doing work right away? Because if that is you, then perhaps a fellowship may not be what you want to do. I think I've had friends that I've seen graduate from the program. They don't do a fellowship, but they go and get a job and they work in consulting, which is very much boots on the ground. But it's also a ton of experience in data, in consulting, obviously, but also in a broad range of healthcare. And so there are different ways to achieve those same goals. But I think it really comes down to self-reflection and asking yourself, what do I want to do next? What is it that I'm most passionate about? And how can I go about doing it? If a fellowship is going to help me do that, then by all means, let's pursue a fellowship path. But if not, let's keep the door open and look at other things that I could be doing, whether that's consulting, a full-time job, or maybe even you know continuing to educate yourself in a variety of different ways. All right, so I know this podcast is focused on all types of questions. And so the last section of questions, I wanted to save for life questions, uh, either life before the program, during the program, or maybe even a little bit on the after portion. So one of the questions that I got from somebody named Jasmine was, what are some best methods for self-care? I think some of the best methods for self-care are, are one, learning to say no, two, making sure you have time for friends and family, and three, honestly, just getting enough sleep. So the first one I said was um, learning to say no, and I think learning to say no is so important because it really pushes you to become the best version of yourself. When you say no, it's not that you're closing a door, it's that you are choosing to go a different route, whether that's a different door or just a completely different path in general. And I think there's a lot of respect around individuals who are early in their career and can learn to say no. There's a lot of pressure as young careerists to be open to everything. And while that's amazing, when it comes down to work ethic, Saying no is probably the best thing you can do because it shows focus, it shows that you have a clear mindset and goal, and it also shows that you know how to prioritize tasks and jobs and opportunities. The second thing I said was to make sure you have time for friends and family, and I'll be honest, I fell a little bit off the boat with this one my first year of my program. I was so caught up in being the yes man that I really just, I think I let my friends and family down in some ways. And so in the second year of my program, I really made sure to be more conscious about, you know, am I going home for the weekend or am I spending time with family? Let's play a game. Let's be like together and be present. And that made a world of difference because then mentally I just felt so much happier. And I also just felt so much more supported. My support group knew that I was there for them and also that, um, when I needed them, I could call them because there was a recent communication and there was a, a continuous flow of information from both parties. And then finally, the whole sleep thing it's not a joke, it's for real. Sleep is so important. And obviously, like science proves, you know, without sleep, your brain just goes whack. Your body also goes whack. Um, you need to be sharp uh, whether it's in school, whether it's in your job, your just general opportunities, like you need to be on point at all times. Again, like I said, for volunteering, you're never going to know who you're going to bump into, who you're going to walk into class and hear speak. And so making sure that you are well rested and well prepared for whatever the day might have in store for you is ultra important. And, um, Yeah, I think whether it's taking a nap in the afternoon before your class or just making sure that you get enough sleep um, during the week, not just on weekends, that should be a top priority when going into your program and throw out it. Following up on that whole sleep train thing, there was a question, and I'm trying to look for it uh, to find the exact wording. Ah, here it is. Which was... If you do have extra time, what are the best clubs to get involved in? This question is really interesting because I personally don't think there's any best club or extracurricular or organization to be a part of. I genuinely believe, and I know this sounds cheesy, but whatever organization or club, etc., you think is cool or is engaging is the best one for you. It is the one that you will consistently make time for. It is the one that you will be excited to talk about and to put on your resume. And it's the one that you're going to utilize the most to network, to chat, to vent, whatever it might be. And so I think when you're thinking about taking your extra time and putting it into side projects or into extracurriculars, really challenge yourself to sit and think for a minute or two about why am I doing this and what is it going to do for me? I cannot emphasize how many times that question or those questions have saved me <laughs> because, as I said earlier, I can totally be a yes man where I just say yes to every single opportunity. But the reality of life is that you cannot be involved in everything. And so when you're challenging yourself to think about what you want to be involved in, ask yourself those questions because they really get straight up the core of why you're doing it and what it's going to do for you. All right. And I guess since I said that, I will end on the question of how do you do it all? So some of you might know me personally, and I think that's where this question is coming from. Um, Like I said, during my first year of the program, I worked a ton. I finished the first year, obviously, and then I went on to secure a part-time job, a year-long internship, and then continued with the program while starting things like mastering MAJ and doing other side projects. For me, the key to doing it all is, again, that same question of what am I doing and why am I doing it? If I can't answer those questions, then for me, I need to cut something out or I need to repurpose it so that it does become something that I'm passionate about and that I can say is purposeful. There is Too much time that goes wasted to trying to figure out what you want to do and to just sit and dilly dally about, you know, should I do this and should I do that? And I think if more people asked themselves that question, they would find themselves more grounded but also more involved because they would then only be involved in things that they're interested in. And that goes a long way. I think personally, that has helped me advocate for myself. Whether it's to friends and family when they ask me why are you so busy all the time, um, it's because I'm passionate and I want to do those things, and so I'm going to go and do those things, right? But also in a job setting, it helps you know helps you because you can say you know oh this is great because. I'm really passionate about that side job and look, it's aligning with my internship. And now not only did I get an internship and a job opportunity out of this question, but I have a third opportunity, which is the chance to speak in the future about how passionate I was and how clear I was when I was doing that. And that's what makes things memorable and helps you get through, air quotes, everything. (laughs) And so with that, I'm going to close out this podcast. This was so much fun for me to do to get to sit and reflect on some of the things that I've been through. And I hope you guys had fun and gained something from it too. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, follow us on Instagram, and let me know what you thought about this podcast and the question and answer portion. That's all for now. I'll see you guys on the next episode.